Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. 78 people die daily due to opiate use in this country, and that's scary. These are statistics that should be going down, yet they're going up. As I've said before, heroin addiction isn't really something you can prevent. Well, you can. You can never do it, which is really the smart call. It wasn't the call I made, but it's the smart call. But it can be arrested. That's what can happen. We did a show this week on the naltrexone implant, which is a great device that once an addict gets clean and sober, they can make a they can make it easier for themselves to remain clean and sober by using the naltrexone implant. Now, if you have an addict in your life who is actively using, there's really nothing you can do about that. You can have overdose protection awareness. And this is a show that we did uh, in August. It was August 30th of 2016, episode 31. We had Savannah O'Neill, who is the overdose prevention educator, and she's also the naloxone distribution coordinator of Alameda County. And we discussed overdose prevention because most people don't know what that is. They think, oh, you just throw the person into a tub full of ice. That's really dangerous. You could actually send them into cardiac arrest by doing that. You can slap them in the face a bunch of times. None of these things are really going to work, but there is a nasal spray that you can use, and there's an overdose uh, prevention kit that can be used. These are all very, very important things. Uh, check out the blog on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's at Radio Rehab Dana. I found articles coinciding with these episodes that we've done this week, and I've written a blog that you can look at. Also, we are launching Radio.Rehab, where I will continue to blog, and we will post episodes of this show. This episode is really important and near and dear to my heart, especially this week after losing a few people to heroin overdose in the past three weeks. Savannah O'Neill is our guest. Check out the episode. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Welcome to another episode of Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. I'm here in studio with producer Char and our special guest, Savannah O'Neill. If you would like to write us, the email is radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. That's G-O-T-O productions.com. On the Facebook, the Instagram, and the Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab Dana. The phone number you can call or text anytime is 415-496-9511. Please go like the show and subscribe to it. That would make us very happy so then we can come to your town and have you on our show, possibly. So, Savannah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I have to tell the story of how this happened. About <laughs> met. So, I, I'm i at a sushi restaurant with my mom and some friends, and we hear this conversation from this table. More like I'm ear hustling because I heard the word overdose. So, I was like, wait, what? Oh, you know, that's that's more interesting than what you guys are talking about. So, I'm in. And then... So as they're walking out, my mom, because she's so flamboyant and Southern, goes, did I hear y'all say overdose? My daughter does a show called Radio Rehab. Anyway, the guy, the people get, went, oh, our, my daughter, Savannah, is the head of of the overdose prevention project or whatever he called it. So that's all I could remember. Right, and then I was like, yeah, and I was like, oh, she should be on the show. And then you, and then my mom gave them my card and then here you are on the show. I know, such a funny story. So crazy. <laughs> I'm really glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> this is definitely a subject that, that hits close to home for me. So your actual title 
is the overdose prevention education and naloxone distribution coordinator. Great. Yes. That's it, which is the longest title I've ever heard. Yeah. And then acronyms. Yeah. And then there's also HIV education and prevention project of Alameda County. Yeah. And that's the organization that my project is housed within. Okay. Okay. Very cool. So I know know what all these things are because uh, when I was in my disease, when I was using, I thankfully went to needle exchanges and was always part of some kind of a harm prevention project, which is why I, unlike so many people that I know, don't have any diseases. Right. Because, and also that's why nobody, like I was telling you earlier, ever overdosed and died on my watch. Yeah, because, cause yeah, because I had naloxone. I had, I had Narcan. I had, I mean, I was able to, to help them b- because of projects like what you work for. So I have to know, how did you get involved in this? So... It's always a good question. I feel like I changed my answer, but I have done syringe exchange, needle exchange for almost 10 years, I think 10 years now Uh in Santa Cruz and Berkeley and now Oakland. And I started doing it um, because the first time I heard what harm reduction was, it just made absolute sense to me Uh in terms of like how we approach people. It was just the language I had been looking for for a really long time about how do you keep people safe and not you can't control people's decisions. Yes. So how do you support people in being safe and with whatever they're doing and you know, have unconditional positive regard towards them because we want to always have people be the healthiest they can be. And that is going to look different depending on where people are at. Right. So when I first learned about harm reduction, but as when I was growing up, my dad was actively using and drinking Mm -hmm. and he's been sober now 15 years. That's so great. Yeah. So that was a funny thing that he was the one. I met him and yeah. So that he was the one that met you. But I think that growing up with him, uh, I learned a lot of things. And one of them was to like, understand people who are flawed and who have addiction as a disease or have other things going on that complicate them. It was just that my dad was both, you know, an alcoholic and had all these issues and was still my father who was around and did positive things for me. So it allowed me, I think, to hold both those things at the same time. That's really cool. Yeah, my dad got clean and sober when I was about 10 years old. So, I mean, I remember the other stuff, but I mainly remember him as as being a sober person because that was the majority of my life that he was sober. But um, when I I didn't know, like when I first, this is so weird, when I first used a needle, I was in a rehab. Uh, I had not, I had come in there, you know, my parents were all, him being in the program, he was always, they were always throwing the cushion under me. They were always like, you know, trying to... Okay, you're going to hit bottom. Here's bottom. You're going to rehab. You know, right. but it's like really I obviously I had to hit my own, you know, cuz we know that's how it works. Yeah. Uh but so I'm in a treatment center and I my roommate and I hated being there. We didn't want to be there and we decide that we're going to use. So she has her dealer drop off some drugs and a needle and that was the first time I ever used and we had to share a needle. Wow. And it was like I remember thinking, okay, I this could actually be I mean I, I have heard stories about people getting HIV the first time they have sex. I've heard and so after that I made it my business to know where do you get needles besides on the streets besides at that time uh you were actually able to still go in a pharmacy and lie and say you had diabetes. Right. You know and it's this is back before, you know, internet and this is back before like, you know, smartphones. So I didn't, you know, I would actually have to call a doctor's office and ask what type of insulin I should be. You know, all the research you have to do whereas yeah. now it's just a button but I I don't think they even sell them anymore unless you probably have a card or something. They do. You can buy up to 30 syringes over the counter in California now. Oh, you can? So there's a law that got passed in order to increase access to sterile syringes 
so you can go into a pharmacy without a prescription and purchase up to 30 syringes. That is so crazy. But that is, I'm not sure when that happened, but that hasn't always been true. Oh, it's definitely not always been true. I know because on the night, you know, when I couldn't get to a needle exchange or I missed the needle exchange or there was no needle exchange that day that was near me and I'm having to go through and use all these old, you know, messed up sites. That's why my arms are currently so messed up. But it's also, like I said, you know, it's the reason I don't have hepatitis or HIV is, is for safety. So yeah. you got into it basically just because it makes sense to you, like you were saying, because we can't tell people they're not, they, you can't use drugs. I mean, right. it's called jail. You can do that. You can put them in jail. When they get back out, they're going to use again if they want to. Yeah. But so this is a way for them to not spread disease yeah. and get diseases. Yeah. So HEPAC, my larger organization, that's the goal, right, is to have all kinds of programs that stop the spread of transmissible diseases like HIV, hepatitis C, um, and other bacterial infections you can get from sharing needles, right, oh, and like botulism, yeah. yeah, and abscesses and things like yeah. that. Um, so trying to keep people healthy because and stop, you know, not get a disease and not die um, in the course of their drug use. And then when that stops, like you were saying for yourself, now you don't have as many things from your addiction. Right. I just, yeah, I just have, you know, bill collectors and sort of that, you know, <laughs> amends I have to make all over the place and stuff. But yeah, but I don't have, you know, this disease where I have to get some crazy kind of health insurance and, you know, because I'm, and, and, and you know, my sobriety will last as long as, as, well, I'm not going to say till I, as I want it to, but it'll, you know, I, I get to live my sober life being disease free, which right. I really appreciate. And I know not everyone is so lucky. But I remember, you know, when I was out there and then I would get into treatment and all the girls I knew who had every single kind of everything, you know, they either had HIV or three different kinds of C, And it was like, it's just preventable. And it just always made me sad that it's like, Instead of even just like maybe walking a block, you dipped in the same spoon with that guy. You know, it's like there's just it's a lot of I don't there's just so much education that can be done. But that's what you guys are doing. And like you were talking about what uh, the dope project. Right. Let's talk a little bit about that. That's. Yeah, so the DOPE Project is what my program is modeled after. Okay. Because my program is brand new in Alameda County. It's only existed since January. It's a pilot project. But the DOPE Project has existed in San Francisco since, I think it's 2003. I'm pretty sure. That would make sense. That would make sense to why I've heard of it. So it's existed for a while. um, And they do naloxone distribution, train people to use Narcan, um, provided at the syringe exchanges and a few other sites, I think a few methadone clinics and things like that. And so my program in Alameda County does a similar thing. Right. Which is, so are you there on the distribution days? Yeah. So I really, as my role is to start, I started the program. Um, so building all the programmatic stuff uh-huh. and then train people to do the distribution. So all our syringe exchange workers at our three fixed sites can give out naloxone. I go to one a week normally, uh-huh. um, and then also during outreach. And then a big part of my role has been training staff at other organizations. So to build the capacity of people who are already seeing people at risk for overdose, right? Like drug treatment, shelters, right, the jail, um, other harm reduction programs, drop-in centers, mental health programs, because they see people who are at risk for overdose, but they haven't historically been talking about it. Right. So I train their staff to have more education, like you were saying, um, about how to prevent overdose and then also potentially have naloxone to give people or on site if someone was to overdose there. Right. We were just talking about that. It comes in this cute bag now. <laughs> I know. What does it say on the front? It's this cute little red bag. It says opioid 
overdose rescue kit. And that is so great because I used to walk around. I used to have all of those things. But they were in like this, you know, stupid brown paper bag that had like a bunch of rigs in it. It, it was just, I, that is so cute. And especially now being sober, I can't wait to have that. Right. And people are like, what? I'm like, well, I'm always prepared. <laughs> and now you can explain it. I know. And now, you know, if by some crazy moment, I don't know, maybe I'm sponsoring somebody and they they relapse an overdose. I don't, it could be anything, yeah. but I will be prepared. Yeah. And like we were talking about, that is a time when a lot of people are at risk to die is when they've been sober for whatever reason. Yeah. So really trying to talk to people who, you know, have a little bit of sobriety, like not that long and are maybe worried about relapsing, that's a time when a lot of people end up dying if they don't have access to Narcan. Yeah, that's true. I know that's true. I know a lot of people have gone out that way because it's like once you have, you know, if you're if you're incarcerated or if you're in a treatment program for like 28 days, your tolerance goes it goes back down and then people go use whatever they left at their house and forgot they had there and they die because their bodies can't take it yeah yeah that's i know now i was just talking also about how uh it it seems like this past year the past couple years i will a friend of mine who i went through treatment with or you know know growing up in la i i try to i go to contact them because maybe it's their birthday or something on facebook and it's now a memorial page And it's like, and knowing who they are, I I always know how they went. You know, they overdosed, obviously. And it's sad. It's like a lot of them, you know, start, have just started a family, you know, but for some reason couldn't stay clean and then overdosed. Yeah. And it's really sad. And I have similar things. Um, I've lost a lot of people that way and they're preventable deaths. Yeah. You know, the same way we know how to prevent HIV. Syringe exchange, getting sterile syringes, really good at preventing HIV. Yep. And distributing Narcan to people who use drugs, really good at preventing overdose. So yeah. that's what's also so frustrating about it is that we have resources that work to prevent the deaths and people don't always have access. Yeah. And they just don't use it. I, I mean, it's so funny is because uh, one time... It, I didn't administer the Narcan. We, we were at some like shooting gallery type awful place and a guy went blue and then somebody else administered the dose. The guy woke up so angry like, yes. you should have let me die. You bet. You know, and it's wow. just like, you know what? Well, you know, we'll tell your mom you said that because because his mom actually did live upstairs. And, and, you know, yeah. it was like, yeah, she really doesn't want to deal with your funeral right now. I can just tell you like. Yeah, because people are, I mean, yeah, anytime that I have used Narcan, people are really unhappy because oh, you go into yeah, immediate they withdrawal. they go into withdrawals, yeah, and they're like, damn it! You know, it's like, well, it's either that or you could have died. Yep. You know, now you can feel uncomfortable for a little while, maybe get your life together, get sober, and help other people. Right. That's kind of how I look at it. But yeah, it with all the- It gives people a chance. It gives people a chance. And yeah, it's like you're saying, like, with all those all the diseases they have out there now, not just diseases, but infections that you can die from and yeah. have your arms fall off and, you know, like, get gangrene. I mean, I know a girl's toes had to be removed yeah. from an infection she got using. Yeah, I we, mean, it's just absolutely disgusting. Yeah, and we know that preventing these diseases, preventing overdose doesn't um, enable drug use, doesn't prolong people's addiction. They've done lots of research on that. Oh, no, 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 no. That's fear, right? Oh, God, yeah, no. I mean, I can personally attest to that. I would never have gotten sober just based on the fact that I couldn't find clean needles. Yeah. It's more likely that I would have gotten HIV yep. based on the fact that I was dope sick and couldn't, didn't have access to sterile syringes. Definitely. Like, that's, yeah, I mean, I think they just need addicts to attest to that because that's so crazy. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I have a bag of clean needles. I think I'm just going to keep using, you know? It's more 
more about the drugs than the needles. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's so. That I can, but I can understand how people think that. But really, I you know I think it it keeps it keeps safety on the streets and it keeps people from when they're not ready because they're not going to quit before. You know, before it's their time to quit. Right. But now, once they do quit, it's like people have a lot less um, problems going into recovery. They have a lot less illnesses. You know, it's like they can have a longer life in sobriety once yeah. they work towards that. You know, once they get that gift of sobriety, it's so sad that they would have to die, you know, from some kind of liver disease or from HIV. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So... And- you Go were ahead. saying that you know so many people, right, where this is true for. And it's amazing how many people have been touched by overdose and have oh lost people God, that yeah. way. And it is now the leading cause of accidental death in the United States. It's every, it's everywhere now. And I think a lot of it, I mean, this it, this year, because it's like I was talking about opioids and opiate stuff and everything. And then all of a sudden this year, after Prince, it's everywhere yeah. it's everywhere where it's like you know my mom and her friends are coming up to me going i was listening to npr and they were talking about this what does this word mean you know and i'm like that's so weird that everybody's talking about opioids and overdoses now but yeah prince was a completely needless death yes. which is so so depressing because yeah. the magnitude of just how awesome he was i know it like it was just that was heartbreaking but yeah fentanyl somebody's prescribing him fentanyl when it says oxycodone i mean that's awful yeah it really but is but yeah like had any of his entourage or his team had access to this, Prince would still be here. Exactly. Who was and who does that not make angry? You know, yeah. I mean, that's terror. <laughs> Who's not upset about that? Yeah, and we've lost so many other celebrities that way as well. Oh God, so many over the years. Absolutely, and and I mean, there's so many people who aren't celebrities. I'm sure this year who we've Definitely. lost that way. Everybody knows somebody. It's like you know, everybody I'm friends with who's in recovery on Facebook. It's I'll I'll see something probably like once every few months. Like it's now a memorial page to this person who yeah. decided they were going to pick up again and they died. Yeah. I mean, it's sad, but it's common. Yeah, and it can be a really like stigmatizing way to lose someone, right? Sometimes it's oh, hard to God, talk about losing yeah. someone to overdose. Oh, so hard. I I know. I mean, because I know uh, a friend of mine who couldn't stay sober, and she ended up overdosing and dying. Her mother's kind of like old school. I think she's maybe originally from Russia, and I know it, it's just really she doesn't want to talk about it because that's not the way she thinks of her daughter. It's not the way she wants to remember her. But that's how she's memorialized. Like the last people who saw her. Um, you know, she was trying to pawn her belongings on like the street in downtown LA and, and then it's like, and then she passes away yeah. and we all, and it's just, it's so sad and it like kind of brings shame upon the family in their eyes, you know, in the addiction community, it happens. So right. nobody really judges it, but yeah, it like brings shame on the family and it's hard for them to discuss. And that's just really sad because like you said, overdose is so preventable. Yep. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I think besides preventing overdose deaths through Narcan um, distribution, it can also per- allow communities to be empowered to know what to do and to feel less helpless in those situations. So family members and other community members, if they have access to Narcan and know how to respond, um, it can be really empowering for people that are close to drug users. Yeah, because then now they can help as opposed to walking in because I know people who um, either they weren't opiate addicts, they were addicted to something else and they get into a relationship and I've had this happen so many times, the same story. The girl was maybe coke or alcohol and then her boyfriend was heroin and he relapses and he's using and she comes in and then she has to call the cops after she sits there trying to slap him in the, you know, do all these things that maybe she's seen on TV. I don't know when it's like if she just had... 
if she just had, you know, an overdose prevention kit or something. Yeah, and I t- talk to so many people who tell me stories about how they save someone with ice or with yeah, ice, like which that. can send your heart into shock. I've heard like I I know people who have done that, but I've also heard you can kill somebody by putting them in ice. Yeah, so I'll often be like very happy that the person survived, that they you know allowed the person to live in whatever way they did, and then also give them information about how you can prevent deaths without doing those things and by you know, knowing what to do every time because we know those things don't work every time. Oh, yeah. You know, or pick the person up and walk them around. What happens when it's a guy who's way bigger than you and like yeah. you're having to slap somebody in the face? It's, I mean, I've seen that happen too. Yeah. And I, I try to move their body for them. It's like, it's so, it's really scary, but it's less scary, you know, when you've got something like this, when you've got tools like what's in this overdose kit yeah. where you can literally save the person. Yeah. And so when we when people come to our syringe exchange sites or anywhere else, we distribute the kits. We basically get some information from them and then give them a five to 10 minute training. And then they're totally equipped to use the drug naloxone. Yeah, exactly. And, and so we were talking about this. I don't know if they still do it. We were we talking about the nasal spray, right? Right. When I yeah, because when I was going this is years ago, there were, it was a nasal spray that they gave out at the needle exchanges that will save you. It was like what a, a Narcan nasal spray. Is that yeah. what it was? So there's two different formulations of the nasal spray. Then there's the injectable, which we give out, um, which is a vial with a muscling syringe. Yeah. And then there's also this wild auto injector they created now that talks to you and you can inject with it. But all across the board, all four of those kinds of naloxone, um, their price has gone up hugely in the last five years. Really? Yeah. So the price of naloxone has gone up like 1,100%. I remember that statistic at some point. I don't know if it's more than that now. That is so crazy. I never thought that would even be something that, I mean... Why would that go up? Because because it's in demand. See, that's kind of disgusting that the price went up. It's like, is it because they know people need it? So the price went up? Right. So there's no, you know, we can't point and say this is exactly why companies have different excuses. But it is really terrible timing. And it's hard to imagine that that doesn't have something to do with it. Right. And it's so it's increasingly hard for people to get access to Narcan because of the price. So community-based programs like mine were really not able to get a lot out into the community until we recently got this grant because it's expensive. Right. So it ranges from, you know, 28 to like dollars a dose to the auto injectors, like 3000 something dollars a dose now. Oh, my God. So how do you get a grant to be able to give these things out at the needle exchanges? So mine, like I was saying, mine's a pilot program through Healthcare Services Agency in Alameda County uh-huh. um, that came to our agency. So we have a grant for my position as well as purchasing the naloxone kits. And um, that is an annual grant that will go up for renewal every year. That's so cool. Yeah. So it's an, it's great that Alameda County finally is getting some of that support, like the DOPE project that's in San, Francisco. in San Francisco. Yeah. Because San Francisco is like only, it's tiny. You know, it's only seven square miles and you can just see the addicts walking. They're just really in your face, especially if you go down by Mission and under the bridge. And, yeah. Or in the TL, I mean, any anywhere in San Francisco. But that, yeah, that's really great that that Oakland is doing it too. I know I I was in Oakland, um, for a brief period of time back when I used to be going to the Methadone Clinic 
in San Francisco. And I was amazed at how many methadone clinics Oakland actually has. Yeah, definitely. Because San Francisco, it's not really, a, it wasn't huge. It wasn't oh, a huge. It was just kind of like, there's the one at SF General, and then there was only one other. There's like one in the TL, and that's the only ones I knew of. But Oakland, it's like, there was one like every few blocks. Yeah, that's wild. It seemed like. Yeah, yeah I actually was a counselor at a methadone clinic for three and a half years before. Really? Yeah, before I went back to grad school and then got this position. That so is worked, so cool. Yeah, I've worked in treatment. I've worked in harm reduction services, kind of like all around working with people who use drugs. But um, yeah, I was working at one of the methadone clinics in Oakland. Let me ask you something about methadone. Do you find that people who are on methadone and going to the methadone clinic, well, I mean, I guess it depends on whether you're on detox or maintenance, but like, do you find that those people don't really want to be sober? They just don't want to get sick? Um, I think it really depends. I think people have really different reasons for getting on methadone. I think that people's experiences of it are really different. But I think a lot of times what I saw there was it was people who had tried a lot of different things to and stop didn't using. Work. And they weren't working. And yeah. they had been through it a lot. And methadone was keeping them healthy and safe and, you know, stable. Um, and that was what was working for them. Yeah. So I think that that was my experience. And I didn't see a lot of people who were like, I really just want to keep getting high, but I want to do it in a legal way because I think that the high off method yeah, is there's not got a ceiling. comparable. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, and there are people who go pick up double habits, but you Definitely. know, it's like, but there's nothing anybody can do about that really. Um, you know, and then because the, the one that I went to, they would always test you before you went in. When you went out, you know, it's like if somebody would get their dose, they give them maybe half their dose. And if the person would sit there nodding out and scratching, they'd be like they would get kicked out. Yeah. You know, it's like, of- yeah. Like if somebody who like actually could wouldn't use for a week, it's like if you cannot use for a week, you're in the clear. You don't need to be in here on methadone. But yeah, they they really kept an eye on that at the San Francisco one. Yeah, they, they were they were actually I think they were pretty good about that. So we were talking earlier. We've got you've got some events coming up. So yes. August thirty first is Overdose Awareness Day. Yep. In in Oakland. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. Definitely. So tomorrow, it's tomorrow. Yeah. Is August thirty first um, International Overdose Awareness Day. And it is across the world. So different events are happening all over the place. We're having one in Oakland for the first time. So Oakland has never had a formal Overdose Awareness Day event. And it is Wednesday the 31st from 6 to 8 p.m. at Frank Agawa Plaza. And the goal of sort of events across the world are to both raise awareness to the opioid overdose epidemic, to the fact that we're losing lots of people, to talk about potential solutions as well as create a memorial space for people to grieve those they've lost to overdose. That's so cool. So people can actually come and they can do something for the people that they've lost. Yeah. That's really cool. I wonder how many people are going to write something about Prince. Yeah, I know. I'm totally curious. Yeah. I mean, how it's like, it's sad. I would really like to know how many people this year have died due to um, opiate overdose. Yeah. Probably so many. So many. I mean, I think that recently the statistic was that someone dies every 18 minutes from oh my God. overdose. Which is like we were talking about completely preventable. Yeah, uh, because Gene Wilder recently passed away. I was reading something about um, Gilda Radner when they were married and how she had ovarian cancer and how her death could have been prevented also because all they had to do was, you know, first of all, give her the right test to find out she had ovarian cancer. And then she could have done the research to find out that half her family died from ovarian cancer. Wow. And then she could have lived longer. It's like it's it's really saddening to lose people and then start thinking about it. But I guess that's that's how it has to happen. That's what makes people think about it is we lose people and then it's like this shouldn't happen to other people. Definitely. Yeah. And it's like we all, you know, like death is a part of 
society and we're not trying to prevent people from dying. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, when there are things that could prolong people's life and could keep people alive that are easy and prevent, you know, preventable, it's really frustrating that they don't exist more. Yeah, I mean, if there, I just like personally, if there is a, like a, an addict out there, especially a heroin addict, who can maybe live disease free to see how awesome it is to live drug free and to be past all that. Like I'm for anything that'll do that. Yep. Absolutely. Cause I mean, it's, it's a gift that I think we can all get. It, it just depends on where that person is in their life and whether or not they're ready. And it, it, there's, there's so many factors, but I think the whole needless disease and infection thing is really a great help. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we programs like mine have existed for the last couple of decades. Yeah. Doing peer distributed naloxone. So giving it to people who use drugs and it saves so many lives. Yeah. Yeah. And even my program, since we started actually giving out kits in April, we've had 20 reports of reversals. So 20 people have gotten this red bag kit from us and then used it and come back and said, hey, I saved someone's life. I need another one. That is so cool. I used to see that happening all the time when it, when I was using it, the project they had down in the, in, uh, the Mission District, where people come in and be like, I need more of that, meaning yep. they had used it. So, I mean, I mean, I saw that happen day, you know, every week when they yeah. had the thing. Yeah, and we've so we've had 20 so far, and we know that there's more we haven't heard about. We know cities that have had them for longer have, you know, tens of thousands of people that's lives have been saved from Narcan and from kits like this. Yeah, and that's somebody's that's somebody's son or daughter or brother or sister or mom or dad who is now not dead Definitely. because of that. And I, that's really cool. Yeah. So there was another event you were talking about that we've got coming up in September, right? So it's actually, yeah, September 2nd, which is this Friday. Uh-huh. Um, and that is sort of in a different vein, but related, an event about supervised injection facilities. Right. Okay. So people can go there and... so. On Friday, there is an uh, exhibit coming called Safe Shape uh-huh. that is a mock sort of art installation drug consumption site. So it's a pop-up that's, you know, a physical space that people can go in that is looks like what a drug consumption site could look like. So people will not actually be using drugs there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, that would be some crazy performance art yeah, if there's no. just somebody shooting up there. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but it's like a... Ex- example of what one could look like Uh uh-huh and there's one in vancouver it's the only one in north america there is vancouver where they happen to have very little crime right vancouver canada yeah (laughs) and there's i think there's around 90 in the world um so there aren't any in the united states right now and so this exhibit is coming to san francisco and oakland to raise awareness about what supervised injection facilities are and the benefits they've had in other places around reducing overdose deaths reducing disease transmission improving public safety, and also just creating dignity and respect for people who use drugs in those communities. Right. So on Friday, that exhibit's going to be up in Oakland at Colombo Community Center all day. And then we're having two screenings Friday night, September the 2nd, um, at the New Parkway Theater that are about public injection and supervised injection facilities, one of which was shot in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Cool. So about sort of the issues we have with public injection um, in our homeless communities and other people and talking about what that could look like if we got supervised injection facilities in the Bay Area. That is so cool. Yes. That is really fascinating. I would love to find out what those movies are and see them at some point. Yeah, they're both online. So I'm really excited to have people from New York and Chicago here talking about them. 
That is so cool. I totally want to see that. I, I would love to see other people's just reaction to that because to me, it's old hat. It's like, I know, I know what that is, but I would, it, now this sounds like a, no, a new future that I haven't seen and a new way to help people kind of live long enough to get sober, which means a lot to me. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, these are, it's sort of all in the, um, vein, for lack of a better yeah. word. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, all in the vein of harm reduction services and policies. They're all the same sort of thing, but supervised injection facilities haven't existed in the United States yet. So it's still um, something people are getting used to and getting the ideas on to see what they think about it. That is so cool. I definitely want to check that out. So that yeah. what theater did you say that was at? The New Parkway Theater in Oakland, Friday night at 6.30. Okay, Friday night at 6.30. And... It, what's your website if people want to go and they want to get information about this? What websites can you tell so us? My organization is www.casasegura, C-A-S-A-S-E-G-U-R-A.org. And that has all our information about syringe exchange, other services we provide, HIV hep C testing, as well as naloxone distribution. That's very cool. I'm I'm all about this, and I think this is really going to help people. Uh, if you would like to write into the show, if you have questions, comments, observations, it's Radio Rehab at GoToProductions.com. That's G-O-T-O Productions.com. Call or text 415-496-9511. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's at Radio Rehab. Dana and Savannah, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. I think this has been great. I'm so It's kind of kismet. I'm so glad that, <laughs> that this was able to work out. Thanks yeah, to I'm our really parents. glad also. Thank you so much. Okay, and thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Stay sober. Sex and drugs and rock and roll.